So my aim as it firms up, so my concern, ongoing concern is uh, mostly just how to um, help you generate your own well-being or freedom from harm, freedom from damage, freedom from suffering. <coughs> as you, in terms of real experience and some skillful means, and I very highly respect the Buddha's teaching and way to as guides for your welfare, but I'm not really here to teach you Buddhism per se. You know, you can study that in very good online courses and things of this nature. Um, naturally, my practice is grounded and rooted in the Buddha's teachings, but my aim is for your welfare. Uh, This is the way I feel I can most helpfully um, carry out what the Buddha intended. So, just you know, it's just a, I mean, not, I don't want people jumping through hoops trying to arrive at certain states get tangled up with concepts which is, you know, Pali language which, what does this mean, what does that mean and how many of these are this (laughs) I just uh, like to help you to understand how you suffer and how you can stop doing it to yourself and through that um, begin to find your way <clears throat> and if you do that on yourself as you enter into a interactive mode and you bear some of these themes in mind then you will also be helping those who can be helped which doesn't mean everybody at this time and you must also bear that in mind and the Buddha himself only taught those who were capable of you know, just people just couldn't hear it so, um, so as you as you're well aware, you will be entering into a more interactive, uh, socio domestic mode in a few days. And whereas this session here has been carefully held and managed, and we've all lived under training rules and qualities of restraint, when you're out of here. <laughs> That's gone <laughs> for most of you, I imagine. Not that you will be with, you know, people who are not well intentioned, but people who perhaps are not aware of space, of giving you space, not aware of real time, and not really knowing what it is to give you time or space, not really understanding what it is to allow you to enter your chitta and let that speak for you, you know, who used to just, um, you know, personal interactions. Um, So it's important for me to sense that in these last few days I'm trying to throw some seeds out 
which will help you to generate an individual form. It won't be all there, but at least give you the themes to practice with. Essentially, you know, the generation or the growth, the cultivation of an individual form from the nature of the mind, from natural mind, from the rewilded mind, rather than from the frozen mind, the panicked mind, the frustrated mind, the anxious mind, is a, you know, a, a, a primary theme for cultivation, how to allow that which arises from the rewilded mind, the mind that has touched into something more innately true and fertile and always present, much more secure. What can arise from that? And for this we have to, as we've been doing, begin to clear away some of the debris, the damage, um, look at some rather bleak landscapes and begin to introduce some seeds and wait for new stuff to come back and just keep fencing off the bad stuff from getting in. Simple but patient and painstaking process and begin to know what the enemies are. Many of them just come disguised as yourself. So you want to hold that and say, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Let's just check this out with my jitta, with my body. You know, the embodied mind, the embodied mind goes, or feel, suddenly I feel a sense of threat or ill will or pressure or loss of time, loss of space. Well, that one's not your friend. And you don't have to have that. You can be a person without that. Yeah. You can be a person without that. You don't have to sit in samadhi all the time to, to get out of that. You can be a person without that. But it, like you know, rewilding projects often take quite a few years. You've got to keep fencing off the bad stuff. Every now and introduce something. You know, seed. And know where the land is. No point planting seeds on a map. Got to put them in the earth. Um, so to you know get out of the poetic and to the <laughs> this means uh, you know the ground you know the involuntary the given the place where there's a sense of rest acceptance non-performance don't have to deserve don't have to feel you've got to do anything to be allowed to be here the place that says that's fine, you know, and that can be a bodily sense. Most generally, I would say that starts in right, most obviously, where there's a sense contact, earth beneath you. That's just a helpful sign, you know, it's just a sign. But remember, the chitta picks up signs and perceptions. That's its, that's its input. It doesn't see anything, doesn't hear anything, doesn't think anything. It picks up signs, which are much more intuitive, imaginative, perceptual, and simple. Like feel safe. Yeah. Now you can't. It's also non non-specific. It's not like that particular point feels safe for this long. 
It's 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 generic and it's measureless, you know. That's the nature of the chitta. It just feels an overall quality of that. And that's what you want to incline towards through your attitudes, through your intentions, through even the speed of your practice. You can't push and demand. You've got to almost be patient and welcoming and say, where does that land? Where does that thought land? Give it creating spaces between thoughts. And where does that emotion land? You know, and if it lands somewhere afflictive in my body, you know, feel a tightening in my belly, what's where does that land? You know, don't don't stay there. But is there a place the whole form, for example? From a local place to an entire place, entirety. If I feel some tension in my throat, how do my fingers feel? Can I relax my fingers? Can I open my eyes and see the space around me widening to a place where that particular affliction isn't? Yeah? So there can be emptying the affliction into the unaffliction, emptying suffering into the cessation of it, place where it ends, where it isn't. Notice the places where you're not stressed. And this itself is a, a skill because mostly we notice the places that get us. And you want to find the places that don't get you. Which don't seem to be screaming, because they don't. They're quiet places. They don't seem to be doing anything, because they're not. They don't have any answers, because they don't. (laughs) That's not their job. Their job is just to be ground. Space, open, doesn't matter. And uh, you just allow your difficult piece to sit in that. And then from the ground, from the spaciousness, what's what's this feel like? What's needed here? What's it asking for? Perhaps it just wants space. Perhaps it just wants to be breathed. Perhaps it just wants to be felt. So things can move. And though the movement may not be particularly pleasant or you know, ego-gratifying, they really are. But the ending of them, they move, eventually move to a place of, oof, that's out. It's, it's gone out to the ground and it's not being reacted to. It's completed. Same thing in your, in your mind, but, but using the body because in a way there are less uh, conceptual and personality struggles occurring in the body. In the mind are so many unconscious hurdles of what I've got to do, should be, wasn't, what other people did or didn't do or how I am with those, you know, it's all quite a lot of, uh, of um, things to work through. But by all means, you know, get into the embodied state because one of the signs of, 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 um, not being out, not really meeting suffering as we go into our theories and our heads and you feel there's a time shift, you start speeding up into fluttery thoughts. They're called papancha, process whereby the, the surge 
rushes up into I try to be, I, uh, I am, I'm not, I am, why am I, who am I, where is I, what will I be? And you recognize that telltale message, lots of I am's in it, probably a few he is, and they were as well, but lots of selves in it. So that's the papancha process, whereby from an, a basic you know, reaction that we perhaps barely really noticed, this propulsion into an emotional surge, which again might have been quite brief, tinged with need to be craving or anxiety, need to get away from or need to be firm or try to figure this out, rush. Again, it may not even be really recognized because there we are, or there something is propelling a whole narrative of myself and others or myself and how I was, and myself, how I should be, with various details. And it's speedy, it's moving along, the loss of organic time, we're into a very rapid time, and there's a loss of negotiating space. Occasionally one tries to get in and jam the process, but that doesn't really work. Now, you know, Trying to return to ground is a simple, um, simplistic perhaps, but um, process, three-step process. Uh, they say empty your head into your heart, empty your heart into your body, empty your body into the ground. <laughs> I think I might have touched on that. What this means is that if you, however, whatever the thought narrative is, just what's the one word that sums it up? Could be sad, could be under pressure, could be very busy, could be don't know, but a lot of agitation. It doesn't have to be absolutely accurate, just the felt felt sense of it. And then how's that? So you get down to one word, like even, oh, I can't, it's impossible, I can't, I can't, it's impossible, I can't, it's impossible, I can't, okay, impossible, how's that feel? Frustrated, bottled up. Annoyed, angry, grumpy. Okay, then how's that feel in your body? Kind of pressure in my chest, or heated, or overall sense of restless edg- edginess, or hard, hard-edged. Okay, you know, then you come into a somatic reference. Now that somatic state, it no, is no longer available for reasoning at all does not work with reasoning. Neither does the heart. doesn't work with reasoning. You cannot talk your way out of it. You cannot placate your way out of it. You cannot be fair. <laughs> you have to feel it. And then, okay, where is the ground? Where is the acceptance of this? Where is the sense of the whole body or the body walking through space? doesn't matter. Standing, walking, reclining, sitting, wherever you find what I call ground, and I first of all use the solid ground as a metaphor, as a sign, but it's the sign of ground you want. Obviously you can't carry a patch of earth around with you, but the sign of ground, which is the sign of, it's like this, is the mental signal or the conceptual way of triggering it, it's just like this. Uh, it's an emotional nothing to be done 
wide and open accept. And is it backed up by recognizing, you know, the physical body, the somatic sense, and this ground, the space, there's something that doesn't resist that and doesn't interfere with it, but yet is with it. How to be with rather than in what's happening. And that's the place I suggest or I offer uh, as a place where these processes can be allowed to unravel, speak their speak, however socially unacceptable it is, and <laughs> be held until they've finished saying what they need to say. Or at least come to a place where the sense of listening or attentiveness or awareness or spaciousness or ground is, is it greater even. You begin to sense that. Yes, here is my neurotic stuff and there's a aha uh-huh around it. There's my feeling of been stuck with it for 25 years and there's the space around it. And space doesn't resist, doesn't intrude, doesn't object. Mm, How is that? Just holding the space. And my sense is that if you enter real time, and real time is very flexible, some processes, their real time is really rather slow in terms of clock time. Sometimes they suddenly flash and you think, wow, it's gone. You you touched it, it's gone. But you never quite know. You don't. You, there's no point in knowing because you don't want to prejudge or have a hurry-up attitude. You just open the space, and there's a certain point in which it, it seems to me that the quality of ground or awareness, if you want to put it, becomes greater than that which is aware of. You know, the sense of presence is, you know greater than that which was present with and the phenomenon starts to touch that and dissolve. Itself de- it self deconstructs. You don't get rid of it, it gets rid of itself because it's it found a place to land, found a pond to dive into, the ripples are there and it deconstructs because that's the nature of dumbers. They are innately empty, but they are constantly refurbished and replenished with emotional and conceptual fodder. That's why they don't seem so empty, and we don't realize we're doing it. It becomes instinctive, reactionary, you pump it, and you don't have many say of that. It's It's a reflex. A tanha is not under your control first anyway. This is how you get it under your control. Through more and more constantly acknowledging and very much experiencing the innate self-deconstruction of dhammas, they can land on the ground and pass and that awareness gets it. You get it at a gut level. This is the nature to pass. And from that, tanha 
gets a big knock on its assumption. Its assumption is always permanence and selfhood. That's its assumption. That's its ground. It comes from there. And what you're presenting is impermanence. And secondly, very important, it's not me who deconstructs this. It's the ground, it's the awareness, it's the space, it's how you want to call it, chitta. It's not me. So there's both a kind of modesty and a humility with that, but also the real rock-solid or solidifying patience and to say, this has to be born with, carefully handled, don't give up on your relationship to that phenomenon. To be mindful of it. And to, you know, just let it show it where it needs to go. This is called the uh, truth of impermanence. (laughs) Quite a lot crunched into that word, isn't there? (laughs) As a realization. Yeah, you know, leaves fall off trees. Well, so what, you know? (laughs) That's impermanent. Well, I think it was going a little bit deeper than that. We all die, that's impermanent. Yeah, but no, this is a bit, this is sabbe sankara anicca. All sankharas are impermanent. (laughs) And of course, this refers to the gross level of sankharas, the conditioned trees and bodies, but it also refers very intimately to these exact reactionary processes, the sankhara, their nature is impermanent. (laughs) They are innately void of substance. But they don't feel like it when they're hitting because they're hitting a person. And the person unconsciously acts as the obstacle to their dissolution. The person bounces it back and it keeps it in play. The, the, the self, the person keeps their damage going. It's kind of it's shocking, isn't it? Realize that, you know, that we industriously, loyally, and with incredible diligence keep our own damage going. <laughs> on a reactionary level. Same fractured self-image. One more time. And every time it goes around, it gives a little more endorsement. Here we are again. Told you so. Mara, the saboteur, sends it around one more time. So, the aim of practice is, well, okay, what I'm saying right now, the aim, of course, is wherever you want to aim. But the aim for liberation, sabbe sankara nicca, sabbe dhamma anatta, all sankaras are impermanent, sabbe dhamma, all dhammas are void of self. There isn't anybody in them. They're void of self-nature, they have no substantial self in themselves. Yeah. They are, there's no such thing as a, a Dhamma arising alone. They're always mutually formed through ignorance and craving, amongst other factors. Um, 
So they're just like a meeting point of these forces. Yeah, so you can imagine two lines crossing, very simply two lines crossing each other. Avija, Tanha. <laughs> so where those cross, that intersection is called a Dhamma, or an afflictive Dhamma. Right? So there's nothing really there to get rid of. It's just to stop the inter- intersection and then the thing deconstructs. So if we're replacing avijja tanha, ignorance and craving, with clarity and letting go, abandonment rather than craving, then you don't get the intersection, therefore the Dhamma deconstructs, because it's not essentially a thing. It's conditions, and conditions weaving, and if any aspect of that weaving is unpicked, the weave falls apart, just like pulling a thread out of a sweater. This is the truth of dependent arising and dependent ceasing. There isn't somebody who makes it stop by pulling out these primary, you know, I've mentioned avijatana upadana, constriction, clinging, grasping, taking a stand on, firming up, making solid, any of these, feeding on. You know, so there's intersections, and you look at, you know, you begin to get a sense of holding or being held, that's upadana. Either I am holding or I'm being gripped. You know, not holding in a careful, caring way, but holding in a compulsive, contracted way. Or I am being held, that's upadana. Recognize the sign. Uh, What's doing that? How does that one come into being? Because of some kind of pressure to be or to not be, you know, to be something, to be, to not be something, to not be seen, uh, to be clear and competent and cheerful, to be someone for other people, to prevent other people from knowing how I feel, oh, these kinds of things, there's tanha, and these, this is triggered by afflictive conditions where the security or safety of the ground has been pulled away or removed or whatever. So, you know, any of these bases who recognize upadana dependent upon tanha, craving. One is tanha, this force that wants to be, uh, and therefore, you know, it's that relinquishment, abandonment. What is to be abandoned? Mm. As the Buddha said, I see no safety except in the abandonment of all, relinquishment of all. And what is all? Consciousness, perception, five aggregates, you could say, or sense bases. What does it mean abandon them? It doesn't mean destroy them. It means see them as what they are. They're not self, they're conditionally arisen. So consciousness, for example, we're conscious of seeing. Well, that's because of eyeballs, isn't it? Not because of self. It's because of a a visual object out there, not because of me. It's because of the ability to, for perceptions to arise. That's not mine. Therefore, abandon it. Don't claim what isn't yours. That's the, you know, cryptic and very deep utterance, but to abandon it you have to recognize, you know, 
it as it is. And, you know, working primarily on the Sankara Sanya matrix, where the reactivity occurs, a perception arises. Did you say, oh, let that perception arise for me? Could you make that happen? No, you have to, you know, you may try to consciously introduce it by bringing up an image of something that has been that way. So you can trigger perception, but you trigger it by remembering or imagining or opening the chitta to something it knows already at a very imaginative, primary, even mythic level. Buddha, yeah, for example. Yeah. Maybe something more personal. Yeah. A time when you felt relaxed and happy. Whatever it was. So you get the sign. The sign is triggered not from self but from chitta recognizing a place where that was. And if there was none of that anywhere, we probably would not be able to be in this room sitting still for half an hour. It would just be too terrifying. But there is an intuition of safety in a quiet place, being looked after. Um, you know, receiving, being able to receive teachings that touch the heart. There's that primary quality of safety, welcome, free time. You know, it's up to you. So that that sign very important to to manifest that. And you, that then reminds us or touches us at a very primary level. Ah, uh, ah. Uh, uh. So these things are not created by self, but from your personal position you can reach in to a level where they're they're there, or they can be recalled. We never that. That's the point. You see, this teaching for those with but a little dust in their eyes. And it may seem, when you've got a little bit of dust in your eye, it seems like the whole world, doesn't it? Itching and tearing and trying to get it out, weeping and so forth. A little bit of dust can make you weep. <laughs> so it doesn't seem so small. But actually, it's because we're focused right in on that. And meanwhile, you go to the ground, there is a sense of what does safe mean anyway? Ah, you recognize. Something recognizes. This is the beauty of chitta. That that primarily is not self, it is not primarily conditioned. So it it contains this quality of boundlessness, openness, ease, measurelessness, no pressure. And we touch into that, the fundamental sign is of our innate human wealth and happiness. Mm. And it doesn't sound like that at first, but the more you get into it, you are so glad that there's this. This is your refuge. Now we might call that Buddha as an image. Why, Buddha, why do they create Buddha images in the first place? Because people need signs. Yeah, realistically, 
Otherwise, what signs are you getting? Movie stars, politicians, headlines, newspapers, crime, violence, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> what does that do? That's the human condition, you think. <laughs> well, result of that, shut down, defend yourself, put your head down and keep going. <coughs> so the signs that acknowledge the awakened, the real ground, the boundlessness, are to be cultivated, sanya. And the process, the impermanence, not the most, jar, you know, street-level language. And I think partly, you know, as a teacher, one wants to encourage colloquial language as well as the technical jargon and match them up because it's in, often in the colloquial you get the, oh, that, oh yeah, I see what you mean. It doesn't land between your eyebrows, it lands in your gut. where the reactions are. Mm. The sign of the, 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 you know, the way that things break up and shift, move, move along, mm. is a sign to be cultivated. And, you know, what it takes to hold that is a sense of openness, non-clinging, allowing it to move and the qualities of trust and sati learned mindfulness which doesn't contract or aim for anything apart from just the hold and the sensitivity that feels the specific qualities of that moving in your body, in your mind and bearing it letting it to the, to the ground, to the space wherever that you may sense that this is, you know, meditation at quite a deep level. Mm. Mm. Somebody's asking me about samadhi recently, and is it really feasible? Do people can people use samadhi? Can they get into samadhi? Is it even wise to even talk about it? Because people get so frustrated because they can't get into it. Or think, well, yeah, I know what you mean, but. Perhaps it's um, just kind of rub, rub the word gently. <laughs> Ease off, back off that one. Say, <laughs> so, you know, look at the process. <laughs> yeah. Contemplate the process of, um, you know, un- first of all, divesting oneself of these damaging uh, sankharas. And the result of sustaining the process of samadhi, of sati, recognition, you start to feel a certain gladness, a certain refreshment. You let something end. You knew it could end. You even got a vague intuitive sense of where it ends. You didn't quite know where, but it passed and you felt happy. You felt clearer. That's the bit. That's, that's the bit a little bit, where the response of the chitta is a moment of gladness. Ah, you know, and that can rise into the personal form. Mm. You can, if you 
contemplate or stay with through the process and even using images so imagine the you know something touching a pond and the shivering and the rippling and then it dissolving so that you can try to do that with a thought or particularly the emotion the single word is, is sad he is let's mm, mm, resonate with it here's the snarly the snarly mm. okay and you visualize it if you like snarly little you know hairy monster shaking its fist <laughs> there it is and just oh may you be well may you be well may you be well where would you like to go you know may you be well Say yes, you know, may you be well. And that, and just, here's a place you can go. And it's a dissolving, let it dissolve. So Viveka, stepping back, withdraw, Yuraga, you know, Viveka opening a sense of disengagement from the compulsive reactivity, Viraga becoming more and more, it doesn't matter, it's okay. That's fine, you know, you're not going to act or react, it's just a formation, you know. And so generating viraga, you know, it's, it can be helpful to really make that sankara what it is, as not me, but as an object, as something you can visualize or listen to as a voice. Here's a snarly, what, is, what does she look like? Yeah. Here's the fed up. What does he look like? See his brow furrowed, lips turned down. Without a rubbish. Yeah. Oh, there he is. So, okay. That's Virag doesn't mind, but we don't put any more flavoring onto it. The passion. Uh, that's the way that these phenomena start to deconstruct, ceasing, passing. And there's a response of gladness. That gladness is the sign of the citta feeling more released. And this is where the, as that cultivate, get interested in that, get interested in where suffering stops. You're going to feel some gladness as a, as a personal experience, as a form reform, a new form, a form which is lighter, more open, more glad, dwell in that, embody that, feel it in your body, that's, you want samadhi, in my opinion, that's a good way to do it, and it's a safe way to do it, because you haven't forced, shoved, restricted, cut off, you've opened, and released that which needs to be released and that's the important thing samadhi or no samadhi you know releasing and my sense is that the more is released the lighter the whole texture of being becomes and the more able it is to gather and settle mm. Mm. and that's just the consequence for one's happiness in the here and now 
as a personal experience. But the really transcendent stuff is exactly the Four Noble Truths. You know, here's the stressed piece. I've, instead of it running soap operas in my mind, I've whittled it down to one, one fundamental tone. Busy, frantic, pressurized. Take that into the heart. Feeling this, feel tight, feel lonely, feel hurried up, feel felt it in my body. Empty the heart, head into the heart, empty the heart into the body, empty the body into space, into the ground. <coughs> and that last piece, because one of the wisdom, as wisdom comes in on this, we begin to first of all maybe at least conceptually acknowledge. I don't really do frustration. Frustration happens to me. I don't decide, oh, I'll go and feel angry today. How do I do that? No, it jumps up. So you can't really say, you can't really say, I own anger or I am an angry person. Well, you can, but that's that's through careless attention. Through careful attention, you say, no, this is a being afflicted with that experience or touched with that experience. Uh, anger, jealousy, greed, fear, whatever. Not self, not me, not created by me. You, get it, you, you know, you get it conceptually, check it out. Can you say, let happiness arise in me now? Can you say, you know, don't be angry now? Can you say, you know, whatever? To, to your emotional re- reactions. No, they just pop up. If you don't have any say over them, how can they be yours? And you're coming to the, but that's a conceptual, you know, thing to, to undertake. Oh, that's true. So where does that happen? How does it get to be? Mm. There's something shift. There's a shimmering and a tightening and a familiarity to that. It's the familiarity, and the familiarity, you know, begin as it flashes in, begins to accumulate perceptions and various pieces of information to solidify into being a person. It may do that by saying, "Yeah, because of these people who annoy me, um, there's, these, there's these things people who don't like me." So it may, in fact, take other people as its reference, and. In this way, and you begin to, at some point, acknowledge, wow, it's the same other people, even though everybody in the room is different <laughs> from the people who were annoying me last year. <laughs> still, it's the same familiar sense of other I don't even know these people, and they're annoying me. <laughs> something wrong here. <laughs> Maybe it's not they're annoying me. It's something in me <laughs> is feeling threatened, uh, disrespected, and that's here, and it's so. Whenever you begin to deconstruct the world of self and others, you come to the formation itself. Oh, this is the afflicted sense in some way, mm. and it's through you know not penetrating that self-world matrix that we the condition is allowed to keep going. If you begin to realize the world is just a figment of your imagination, of, of imagination, and the self is also another inference. 
what's left? The solid piece is just that, the sankara, with its mask on. Now, it's, you know, okay, well, just bear that in mind. Examine the point, the energy of whatever bothers you as a heart experience now. Tell the truth. Yeah, and don't just let the truth, I am an angry person, but no, take it, be really, really truthful. This is the experience of anger. Very, such a normal word because it wouldn't be a normal word if nobody else had it. Because there's such normal, ordinary words because everybody has it. So who are you going to claim copyright on this one? You'd be sued in a court of law. <laughs> so we call this a phenomenon, a sankara. Condition constructed. And we notice the triggering. The I am triggering. Is the I am they are. I am I'm not. Comparative trigger. I am I should be. I am other people think. I am this and everybody always. I am and I should. I am and I wasn't. I am and I don't have enough. I am I'm, I'm the wrong size. I am the wrong kind of person. I am I am I am, I am and a. Yeah, and the the and bit contains the the uh, you know the drug. You know that's that's the drug. That's the poison. Mm. Yeah. And we want to you know sense that it's a fiction. Maybe a fiction that's very compulsive, but. So we begin to recognize, okay, this is a, a, an afflictive quality, even if we just get this conceptually and we can, yeah, it's true, it is that way. Um, you stay with it. So we begin to remove through wisdom, through clear seeing, the I am as the instigator of suffering. Claiming I am, of course, instigates it, but the origin of it is not I am. It comes into I am and is therefore held safely, held within, fixed through the I am. Experiencing whatever that afflictive experience. And then the real release actually is recognizing where it goes to is not me. And again, this is the other bit of it. Phenomenon happens, it happens to me. It happens to me. It happens to me. This is that terrible thought happening to me. Who? Who is that? Maybe as soon as you get that, you think, oh, yeah. It happens to... What? That's how it comes, it keeps bouncing around between me and I. Because the me sense acts as the, the wall against which it bounces. It bounces back into I am. Now, if that wall is not there, what can it bounce on? 
So the Buddha gave this image, and he says, you imagine sunlight hitting a wall. Take the wall away, where does it hit? Or it lands on the earth. Take the earth away, where does it hit? Water. Where take the water away, where does it, where does it land? Nowhere. So similarly, Sankara's if we really fathom the me who things happen to as a fiction, then travels to cessation. Now the me that happens to that wall may be quite brightly decorated, quite solid. So what's the image of that? What's the perception of that? There's probably an always or a never, a stuck quality to it. Probably embellished with um, narratives, photograph albums, slideshows. old songs, <laughs> what are they? Shifting images, shifting images. Let them shift, play with them. Shifting image, no permanent, fixed, coherent entity, just the dazzling, shimmering, surging images. And there's one that, put, one that stays there seems to be really me, start relating to that. How is this? Who is she? How is he? And same process, as your awareness of that becomes more dispassionate, more there it is, there he is, there she is, let her be the way she is, that's the way it is. You know, the more that that quality can be generated, the more eventually that me bit also is revealed as just another aspect of the Sankara form. And it deconstructs. This is an emptying into and even there, finishing it, what's it like at that moment when the ripples Tie down. Relief, perhaps. Ease, perhaps. And then a gentle flush of gladness. The Buddha said the realization of the Four Noble Truths, however wrenching and searing that may be, the realization of them is accompanied by joy. this joy is worth suffering a hundred years for. Even if you're stuck with arrows three times in the morning, three times in the afternoon, three times in the evening, every day for a hundred years, the joy you get at the end of that would still be making it all worthwhile. Because <laughs> it's not a joy of this world. It's a joy not of this world. And your jitter you know, realizes it's not in this stuff. Mm. And then, you know, returning, letting that wave return as 
say, the very foundational, very primary foundation of the person is a sense of faith. Uh, I know, you know, it's not conception and knowledge, I've realized it's faith. This is the ground, the first ground that is established before we become anything else, you know, so taking one's time. So yeah, I do feel more strangely confident, more relaxed about myself. I can kind of be laugh at my weird self images <laughs> thought they are. They no longer grab me. Maybe they're not free of them, but they no longer throw me the way they used to. And ah, I am deeply glad just for this. This is the first ground, the first establishment of um, to be realized, to be known intimately in oneself. And to have said, the Buddha said, if you get this, this is like you've shifted a mountain of trash. You've just got a few handfuls left. Because from that, that's the basis from which the, you know, you personally, in yourself, realize and know in yourself and I'm just so deeply grateful to have this beautiful jitta being manifested. Mm. So cultivate some of any of that. It doesn't have to be intense sankharas. It can be just the sounds that rise and pass through your mind. It could be the sights. It could be the you know obvious things like just getting used to the process of it happening, moving through perhaps tingling, rushing, getting interested, being happy, and then there it goes. Slow it. Gen, you know, come into real time. Don't clip. You know that? There's the space for you to see, allow phenomena to pass. You know, easy ones, everyday ones, and then perhaps more intimate ones, your thoughts, your emotions, your body senses, and this three, this fourfold process from the thought to the mood, the feeling, into the somatic sense, into the ground.